Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I'm your host, Elaine miller Karras. Today's show is entitled Organizational Development of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And my two guests today are Dr. Michael Sapp and Kevin McLeod of the Trauma Resource Institute. I will more formally introduce them shortly. But one of my proudest accomplishments um, is having co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute. And it's an organization that I believe is in the forefront of bringing accessible wellness skills based on cutting-edge neuroscience to our world community. So the Trauma Resource Institute does work in the arena of toxic stress and trauma. In 2019, I resigned as executive director, and I'm now the director of innovation. One of my visions um, for the Trauma Resource Institute was and is um, contributing to a world where we recognize our common humanity and what binds us as human beings and the sincere hope that all people of all religions races, ages, abilities, sexual orientation, and gender identification are equally respected and welcomed. Um, In my international travels, I have found that no person or organization is left untouched by the trauma of institutional racism, transgenerational trauma, historical trauma, discrimination, and patriarchal power structures. We all are impacted by the inequities and injustices of our collective histories. So today we will highlight some of the work that is being accomplished by the Trauma Resource Institute in the areas of equity, equity, diversion, and inclusion. Since 2018, a committee of really amazing volunteers and staff um, has created a committee called the Equity, Diversion, and Inclusion Committee. Um, they, it's really, they have incredible leadership and they're creating intentional, and I underscore that, intentional dialogue regarding equity, diversity, and inclusion. So right now, it's my honor to to welcome Michael and Kevin to Resiliency Within. And first, I want to give you a little bit more information about each one of them. So Dr. Michael Sapp is the CEO of the Trauma Resource Institute and is a licensed clinical psychologist. He's traveled internationally to um, bringing the trauma and community resiliency models uh, skills to our world community. He has been to Nepal, to the Philippines, to, oh my God, goodness, um, Turkey, it goes on and on, and to many states within the U.S. But he's also co-author, he's also an author, he's co-authored The Nervous System, Memory, and Trauma in the book Building Resiliency to Trauma, the Trauma and Community Resiliency Models. And now Kevin, now Kevin is the Director of Development of the Trauma Resource Institute and leads the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee. He currently also serves as a board member at ReCity, a nonprofit incubator, I love that word, incubator, um, in Durham, North Carolina, where he lives, focused on solving systemic issues related to discrimination, economic disparity, and opportunity. So it's also my pleasure because these two um, gentlemen are also my friends and my colleagues. And so as we start, is there anything that is on your mind that you'd like to begin with before we go into some of the questions that we've prepared for today's show? So I'm going to start with, with, with Michael Sapp. So Mike, anything you want to say as we get started? My goodness. Uh, thank you for that introduction. Uh, and, you know, I think the thing that has been on my mind lately a lot has been just how to, uh, I'm a father of two young 
well, I can't say young anymore, I guess, of a 15 and a 17-year-old, uh, two boys. Uh, and I think that has continues to be in my mind. And uh, I wrestle with how to bring these boys up in the world today. And given the amount of di- uh, division and polarization that I see and trying to help them learn how to navigate that in a way that is healthy and not adding to that. Um, so that, that's been on my mind quite a bit, quite a bit. Well, I, I think that's so important, Mike, as you talk about that, because the children are our future. And we, as I said in the opening, you know, we all live in the wake of what was created before any of us were born. But if we can help the generation that you're raising, maybe have different perspectives and look at things in different ways, maybe there can be less divisiveness. That's what my hope is always. And so now over to Kevin, do you have something that is on your mind after you just heard Mike speak or something that you'd like to bring forward? Oh, of course. Um, In the the same vein, just the, the parenting piece, I have two girls. Um, I've got a uh, tomorrow, a 15 year old and a seven year old, and they're going to grow up in the world as uh, two young women of color. And that's going to take a, you know, it's going to take some some knowledge and some ability to navigate and some persistence and some wellness that they need to be equipped with in order to reach their full potential and to also thrive. And so I'm not only committed to their development, but also, you know, to the development of others and being an advocate in in similar matters. Thank you, Kevin and Mike. And I think that's one of the things I appreciate about both of you, because you both have feminist perspectives. And you know that I am, I guess I would call myself a feminist. And in today's world, I think that's really important that we include all in these kinds of perspectives in terms Mm -hmm. of changing our world and, and not only how people have been treated, um, people of color, but also when we see gender differences and the different things like the Me Too movement of things that, that um, people have experienced as a result of what, might, what some people might call patriarchy. So, um, but let me get started with some of our um, questions that we've prepared. But one of the things that we talked about is tell me about your Trauma Resource Institute story. How did you end up working for TRI? And I'll start with Mike and then go to Kevin. So how did that happen, Mike? Sure. I had the uh, sheer luck of being a clinical psychologist in private practice, uh, I think at the time, maybe two or three doors down the hallway from Elaine and had been working with a client that I felt like what I was offering just wasn't helping. And uh, this particular client had a significant amount of trauma in her background, was able to consult with Elaine quite a bit, just kind of in the hallway, but then asked if my client would want to go see Elaine, given her specialty in working with trauma, and my client uh, declined, saying that she trusted me and didn't want to go anywhere else. And I said, well, what if I go sit in the corner and just be there present with you as Elaine gets to work with you. And that was my first exposure to a somatic-based model. And it just blew me away. Uh, The effectiveness, the efficiency, and it was like, uh, it wasn't like anything I'd ever been trained in. I had not ever been trained in any kind of somatic-based therapy. So it was foreign to me. So then to see the effectiveness with that particular client, and then to then do that digging and learning about the model, that's what uh, opened me up to this type of doing, uh, this yeah, type of work that we do. Uh, and then from there, just 
going to trainings and being invited to come and help facilitate and help do the teaching at trainings. And, uh, you know, by golly, you stick around long enough, they put you to work. So, <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm sure you never imagined as I was kind of like influencing you with some of my ideas that one day you'd take over the running of the organization. So I'm, I'm a lucky. Never. You have encountered you, Dr. Sapp. Yes. Well, likewise, likewise. Yes, and it it okay. changed my practice and it changed me as a person. I mean, that's oh. the other thing, you know, is that as a psychologist, I always felt like I wanted to work myself out of a job. And to me, these skills uh, made that much more realistic for me. Okay. So. All right. Thank you, Mike. And over to you now, Kevin, if you can share a little bit. What's your try story? Uh, my try story began with an accident. I was working at Duke University in the Division of Community Health at the time. And uh, I was responsible for the logistics of bringing uh, you all uh, to train about 100 people um, in a large auditorium in, in Durham. And I was going to be around, but I wasn't technically enrolled in the training. So one of my colleagues said, Kevin, you might as well stay for the training. You're going to be here all day. And that decision changed a lot for me, uh, stayed for the training and was hooked and fascinated and confused all at the same time because I remember you doing a demo and seeing how impactful skills during a simple conversation could be. And I wanted to know more about that. I wanted to understand more. And then I wanted to learn for myself so that I can take it to other people that may need that same type of assistance or intervention. From there, um, I just got connected and you know, took part in a CRIM teacher training, as we call them. That's when I jumped on the table <laughs> during one of the practice sessions. Yes. Um, and, and after that, I think uh, a lot of my work came, Mike, from me saying, Elaine, I'm really interested in this and seeing the model go here. And I really want to take the model to this particular community and work with this particular group of people. And then from there, I would get emails, my phone would ring, and it would be, oh, Kevin, I want to introduce you to this person that is doing this particular thing and just opportunity after opportunity. Well, I think I had it in my mind because when I first met you and both of you, when I first met both of you, you both had this spark and I thought, okay. And I would, I came back from, from uh, North Carolina. I said to Mike, I met this young man there. I met many lovely people, but I said, I think he would be really wonderful to work with us. So little did I know that a couple of years later that we would have this opening and that he would come to work with us as the director of development. So I'm a, I'm a lucky person to have encountered both oh. of you. So let's move on to another question I have for both of you is what led you to understand the importance of addressing equity, diversity, and inclusion issues within your work with TRI. And I'm going to start with Mike first. Um, and I'm going to say a little bit as well, because we were talking about this, uh, the three of us, and, and Kevin said, well, I think you two should go first, because I came later. And I go, okay. Well, so Mike, why don't you start, and, and I'll add in. You know, it's, it's interesting, because I think, uh, if I can remember correctly for me, uh, I remember even as a clinician, because even as an employee of TRI, I still maintain my private practice and I still see clients. And I remember uh, right around the the election of 2016 that it seemed like in my private practice that since then, and even leading up to that, there was a significant, uh, there was a lot of talk even in my uh, sessions with my clients about EDI issues in ways that it hadn't been there before it, with the, the 
the intensity, with the frequency. And I, I remember taking note of that and then going to trainings and noticing that those issues started to, to be talked about and brought up which, with much more frequency. I remember having a, a, a very, I mean, I, I remember distinctly having a conversation at one of their trainings in uh, North Carolina with one of my training team members, uh, Rena Patel, about uh, EDI issues and how they are, uh, how we need to engage that as an organization and um, and how we could potentially and just having a conversation about how that can uh, we could potentially engage that uh, not that we didn't have conversations like that before but it just seemed much more uh, prevalent and much more important and it just started to I think gain I think at least for me personally um, then I started seeing it all over the place as far as we need to do this we need to engage this we need to uh, yeah we need to engage this in a way that and I think that's what I would say the same. I said I started seeing in 2015, people were really suffering. And people were talking about the suffering of seeing the divisiveness that was happening within the country and it being more amplified. And I'm saying that as a white woman. Um, and I know that many of my uh, friends of color would share with me, well, this was going on long before 2015, but right. I think it became more amplified. And we became more intentional and more present with what was happening because people were being more expressive of it. And I think that um, after um, some of the political um, information that was being disseminated, I remember calling a group of people at my home. And I think that was in the beginning of 2016 and saying, let's have a conversation about this. And a lot of people came. We actually used Zoom, I think, for the first time. I remember it on my television. And we had a lot of people that came in that couldn't come in, in person. And we had this most amazing discussion about the intentionality of bringing these issues into our organization so that we didn't keep it silent any longer and that we would continue with the conversation. Because I think what became clear clear to us in 2015, and then it became even more clear, I think, in 2018 when we came in with more intentionality, that it was something we wanted to bring to the forefront, and we wanted to talk about it. We wanted to bring our people of, it's really a rainbow of diversity, um, and have them have discussions, and all of us have discussions about it, and how can we be better as an organization, so that everything that we did had a lens that was also informed by um, equity and, and our diversity. And I also, I'm glad that you called out um, Rena Patel because Rena, um, who uh, is a social worker in Arizona, she was the first person that head up the committee. I know Kevin uh, learned a lot from her and they got together and they, they put their wonderful brains together with the committee and have come up with some wonderful things for the organization. So it's really been a journey for about the last five years with more intentionality, certainly since 2018. So, Kevin, we wanted to, to lead in for that because you took this over when you, uh, well, you took it over before you became an employee because you were a consultant first. So, mm-hmm. you want to tell us a little bit about the, um, the EDI work that the Trauma Resource Institute is doing. Well, right now, the, the EDI work uh, that we're, we're doing consists of uh, just, just an action plan of initiatives. And the main initiative we have is a training platform. And the title of it is From Otherness to Us. And that phrase came about just through discussion and and dialogue with some of my colleagues and things of that nature, but it describes a direction that we want to go. It describes a direction that encapsulates that common humanity that you spoke of before. And how do we go from this separateness, this divisiveness that has been, you know, rampantly on display, you know, just 
currently and, and historically, how do we go from that place to a place that is more of an us? And there's lots of things that happen when people transition from otherness to us. Uh, we know the types of things that can occur if you stay separate, if you stay divided, if you, you know, keep the label of other and you keep the, you know, me versus them. But what can happen? How much can we accomplish if we move the needle and we, we, we uh, capitalize on the trajectory, you know, that will uh, have us reach the place of us where we are, you know, it's not just, oh, something happened to you but it is happening to us. So this is going to be, you know, discussions like this. It'll be uh, things like you had uh, our, our friend, uh, Phil Allen Jr., his, his film being shown, and we had a great dialogue after that. Uh, there's a training program where we will have a cohort of people go through several modules where, where they will learn about some things. They will learn about uh, some, some tools that have been used for oppression. And then they'll also learn tools of connectedness because at the end of the day, there's more that connects us than, you know, what divides us. The things that divide us have been, you know, sort of uh, socially orchestrated and so getting this, people to understand this, um, that. workshop that you're doing, is it something that our listeners could also avail themselves of? Could they go to the website and learn about when these are going to be offered and, and also participate? Yes, we're looking at a kickoff date of April 10th for these workshops. And they will, there will be a, a nice marketing campaign that comes before that. So look up, look out on our social media platforms uh, just for folks to be able to, to sign up and register. And now we are asking for at least a six-week com- uh, commitment for okay. this uh, because it's going to be different than normal equity, diversity, and inclusion trainings. It is going to be different than, you know, you sitting in a room and information being given to you. Or, or people talking at you or, or something like that. And that's no disrespect to some of the things that are going on right now. There's lots of people that have phenomenal trainings, but our approach is going to uh, try to reach people in their body and in their brain. And that's just what we do in the Trauma Resource Institute. It's going to be an embodied practice uh, that we bring into this information because it's not all good. Um, it is, uh, and some of this is very hard and very hard to deal with. And there's a bit of a struggle and a tug of war that takes place when you dive into deeply into matters of equity, diversity, and inclusion, especially if you want to make a, a plan going forward that will work. Well, and I think that's a, a, an, an area that is important for people to, to be hearing about, and that is the embodiment of discrimination that can happen or racism where your body is affected. And when your body's affected, so is your thinking and your mind. And so I think that as um, as someone who's been very involved in the mind, body, and spirit and how they can connect with one another so that we create better uh, worlds, not only inside of ourselves, but in our communities as well, in our families, that this connection is really important. It's not just what we think, but it's also what we sense. And I have been saying that throughout throughout uh, starting Resiliency Within, because I think that's one of the really key concepts that is important for us all to realize, because that also comes into kind of my next question, which is, how has historical trauma intergenerational and current traumas impacted the work of the Trauma Resource Institute and our perspectives. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, ask Mike, if you would like to start with, you know, uh, what your perspective is on that. And of course, then Kevin, please also continue. Well, and I think it's related, like you said, to what we were just talking about, that so much of trauma resides in our body, 
resides in our bones, in our nervous system. And uh, to engage, to try to develop uh, some way of of changing that we have to pull in the body piece we have to pull in that aspect of our experience and that's a hard experience to pull in but this is what again this is what i love about the model and what i love about what the um what uh the edi committee has been working toward is how do we develop a way of addressing these things while also considering the body and the influence of the body and those kind of knee-jerk implicit responses that are really hard because those are not conscious it's not like we sit around and say this is how i'm going to react in this moment or this is how i'm not going to react in this moment as if it's a verbal kind of cognitive decision at times it is a knee-jerk reflexive response and how can we help change that response and i think the skills for me the skills are are, are particularly poised to help affect some of that change because if we're talking about that historical or, or transgenerational trauma that that carries in our body both white bodies, brown bodies, right? And I think uh, for me personally, where I see the effect, and, and again, I'm pulling in my, my kids on this, is I remember sitting down, um, this was a few years ago, quite a few years ago, and we were watching uh, 42, right? The movie about Jackie Robinson. And I remember distinctly one of my boys uh, somewhere in the middle of that movie just turning to me saying, you know, dad, sometimes I'm ashamed to be a white person. Yeah. And that just landed really hard for me, you know, because I'm going, well, yeah, I get that. I have felt that, right? And that that we are reminded of the fact that, that people that look like us, white males, have done and perpetrated a lot of harm. And, and to be able to recognize that and to acknowledge that and, and then to feel the desire as a parent, as a dad, to say, you know what, our job then is to be a better representation, to be a better example of what a white male can be. Um, and how we do that is is going to be hard because of that historical systemic uh, trauma that, that also creates blind spots, potential blind spots for us. And how can we make sure we uh, can be uh, become aware of our blind spots. Um, and and Michael, I just love the way, I mean, I, I thought, well, goodness, I was going to get at least halfway through without having tears in my eyes. I certainly have tears in my eyes right now because I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, your, your, little, your boys are so blessed to have you that they felt open enough to have that dialogue with you. And I think the dialogue is what's so important. I think that Kevin um, and the committee has been working really hard on that. And I just want to say too, the dialogue part of it, and I want to say a little, you know, when I first met you, we were talking one day about, you know, me wanting to really bring this to the black community and how could we do this? And I remember you telling me, Kevin, that every morning that you, you know, kiss your wife, Naisha and your girls as you were leaving your house. And you said to me, I never know if I'm coming back home or not. And I, I just remember, and I can, I, can I can feel more tears in my eyes coming as I'm thinking about that. And I felt so honored that you shared that with me. But it also had oh. a huge impact on me because as a white woman, I, have, I haven't felt that way of leaving my house in the morning. And am I going to come back? I mean, there's certain other things I may have felt that I've been afraid of. But to think about living with that day in and day out, that really made a big imprint on me. So I know with that, um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about historical trauma intergenerational and current, because oh. I know they're all mixed in there together. So go yes, right ahead. Uh, most definitely. And, and that, that conversation you mentioned, you know, that just came from 
you know, just the things that were happening on the news and just the, the events that seem to take place every so often, every year, there's more names added to a list that should not be growing, but yet it still is. Um, and it makes me recognize my mortality um, when, when, when that happens. But going back to your original question, you know, one of the first conversations we did have after I was growing my skills in the models that, hey, I really want to take this to the black community. Um, and it was because of the traumatic impact of racism and discrimination that we carry in our bodies and having wellness skills that can help you to deal with trauma that can turn the volume down on some of those stressful and traumatic situations that you deal with and to ultimately help you to to heal that provides great hope and i wanted other people to have that hope as well uh and and that's more of a current thing but i'll tell you a quick story uh when i was uh, younger this is about around you know 1990 uh, 1991 or something like that we lived in kansas and we used to drive to north carolina in the summer sometimes both of my parents are you know from sanford north carolina and you know at one point our car broke down in tennessee or something like that and we were in what's called a sundown town and a sundown town is not a welcome place for black people asian people at one point jewish people after the sun went down uh harm could come to you and, and things of that nature um, and my dad ended up meeting some people at the gas station who had a friend that had a mechanic shop down the street and we went there and the folks fixed our car for free and we were able to continue on our journey and things like that. But as a parent, I could not imagine the, the stress level that I would have if I know that I'm in a sundown town in my vehicle is not working as it should be and you have that constant reminder of oh i need to get out of here because some harm may come to me or my children and that's you know coming from a, a intergenerational uh, perspective but just thinking about how that could weigh on my parents and hopefully you know it's it's not you know weighing on them today but that's the type of thing that gets carried from generation to generation and you're warning your kids, you're having to talk with them, you're preparing them to go out of the door so that you can receive them back, hopefully. And there's a lot of just stress and traumatization and re-traumatization that happens with that. And what we do offers hope. And hopefully what we can do is expand some of the thinking of people so that we can work across difference better. And I think that, you know, what you're talking about is the fear response. And that fear response is so in our nervous system. It's how we're biologically primed to react when we can be under even a perceived threat. So, and, and how, how, does that, how does that develop? It, it, it develops mm -hmm. from our lived experience. Mm -hmm. So that part of our brain called the amygdala, which is our threat appraisal, right? If we've had experiences of racism, for example, like you're describing, and that piles on top of each other, then we can be on hypervigilance alert when we're just walking outside. And so then if someone says something to us that could be a person of color or, or a white person, vice versa, right? In terms of the dialogue, all of a sudden we may have a response based on that lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so I know that when we've talked, that was really important for you to see, to know the, the, the neurobiology of that response. 
You know, how do we want our futures to be, as Mike said, for your sons, for your daughters, for all of our children in our country to be able to come together and maybe look at life in a, in a, in a very different way. So um, and when we come back, we're going to take a break shortly. And when we come back from um, um, our break, I would really love to see how you're actually approaching the EDI within the organization of the Trauma Resource Institute, because I know that one of the things that we've all shared together is the hope that as we were doing this organizationally, we could be a role model to how other organizations, because I think, I mean, you know, you said it to Kevin, to me, um, it's really important that our leadership be here. And we, you know, we know that there's organizations that also are like-minded, but sometimes organization might hire an EDI specialist, but it's not necessarily held by the entire organization. So when we come back, Kevin, um, I'm hoping that you'll talk a little bit more of why that's so important that senior leadership be involved in the creation of our our perspectives about bringing EDI concepts into every organization so that we can have more equitable treatment of all within within organizations. And I think it has to start with us. If it doesn't start with us, it's it's not going to be the same. So I just want to let our audience know we're going to take a short break. And when we return, Mike uh, Sapp and Kevin McLeod will continue to discuss their perspectives about being change agents. And I'm going to call you change agents within the Trauma Resource Institute. And I am so very proud of both of you. I, can, I think you know that. So in any event, we are going to take our break now and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. So stay tuned, everyone. We will be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elaine Miller-Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma. The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within 
with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, and we have Kevin McLeod and Michael Sapp with us from the Trauma Resource Institute, and they're going to continue their conversation. And so, Kevin, I'm going to come back to you about the importance of senior leadership being involved. As we're trying to think organizationally about bringing um, equity, diversity, and inclusion, why is that important, if you can illuminate us a little bit about that? Uh, Definitely. Uh, In addition to it being a load uh, and both of you know that this work is daunting and at times it is going uphill or up a mountain. It's, it's huge work and it's, and it's very, very difficult being able to look to your left and right and know that you have the leadership of the organization with you that are also climbing the same hills and mountains and that are you know, going out and, and fighting the same battles that you are to push forward and move this cause. It, it's great. And you can't check a box and effectively do this work. You have to have the buy-in from you know, senior leadership in, in the organization. You know, uh, and, and on this call, we've got a co-founder of the organization and the, the CEO of the organization that both have my back when it comes to this work and the efforts that, that we're moving forward with. And that is huge. I know that every organization doesn't have that and every organization may not be prepared to make the moves that they need to make because that 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 support is not yet there you know that makes it easy to for us to weave in our uh, our equity diversity inclusion intro into every current teacher training that we have you know just about that makes it easy to do some of the other things that we do that support this work and you know amplify you know, the work moving forward so that we can include as many people as possible because we know it's not just us. This work, the long and short of it, this work and not just sit with one person. It has to be a we. So what does it mean? I really want to ask both of you to work across differences. What does that mean when you Mm. you say that? Mike, do you want to go first? Yeah, you know, I think, um, again, I see it rooted in what Kevin was just saying that, you know, this for me is a is a long term project. This is not um, EDI issues it did not just pop up, and I think Elaine, you you had alluded to this, right? This is going back centuries, if not longer, right? The issues, and so to me, this is a long term project. This is not reactionary, and so uh, for me, working across differences is being able to recognize that we're in it for the long haul that we're not going to try to come up with uh, short, sweet, everything's butterflies and rainbows, uh, potential solutions, because this is hard work. We're working, like you said, Kevin, we're working upstream. We are climbing a mountain here. And can we honor and respect our differences? Can we learn how to honor and respect our differences without, uh, you know, I, I used, I remember early on uh, when I was much younger, the, this idea of, oh, we just want to be colorblind, right? We just got to see uh, no color and treat everybody. That's how we treat everybody with equity. Well, that's just not right. It's just not. The, the diversity and the richness of our diversity is our strengths. 
And so to work across differences for me is how do we, how do we engage? How do we stay engaged? Well, and I think that when if people say, I want to be colorblind, then that also is um, kind of dissing someone's lived experience. Exactly. Because what Kevin said to me that uh-huh. day, right, about when he leaves his house, cannot be colorblind. Right? Exactly. That's, that's a, that's, and I think that's an important um, concept that is that is, is important to amplify. Yeah. So, Kevin, now back to you. So, if you could illuminate what you believe is, what does it mean to work across differences to add to what Mike has said? Oh, we, we, we're going to uh, build bridges. And there are different things that are used at different times to keep us separate, whether it's race, gender, gender identification, national origin, uh, socioeconomic status, all these different ways of othering people and placing them into a separate category have been used. How do we uh, take our differences, you know, acknowledge lived experience, hold space with people, you know, uh, grieve with people at the appropriate time and things of that nature, but then uh, create safer spaces for dialogue across differences. And I think that goes back to, to what we are trying to do. Active work that needs to take place and it's, it's, not, um, it's not a one-stop shop. It's going to take continual effort to arrive at the places where we want to, to reach. Well, I think another issue has come up since we started doing this work, and that is you mentioned have safer spaces to have dialogue. And how do we create that? I don't know if I know all the answers to that yet, but I think one of the the ways that creates safer spaces is to be able to have a dialogue and be able to experience a greater degree of safety in our body. But it's come up a couple times, and I I think it's worth a little bit of a discussion here. One time I was at a training um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and one of the, the young women that was in the training, who she had seen me actually speak at Duke, she came up to me at a break and she she said, you know, Elaine, I just wanted you to know that when I was, uh, I was the first African-American person to arrive at the training and I saw these white people and I didn't know if I could stay because, and this was kind of post 2016, she goes, because I'm a little bit afraid and I don't know who's for me and who is, who's against me. And so I noticed now that I pay attention to the body that um, she was having a reaction. And I was really grateful to her for sharing that with me. And we had a discussion and she, you know, leaving that discussion, she said, you know, I really realized that it's really important for me to share this information about how it's uh, that racism is so embodied and how there is a way, like you said, there might be a hope of, and when I feel safer that I can come back into what we call the resilient zone and, and feel like I can be safer now. Um, and then recently we had a, had a, a meeting um, actually it was after the insurrection and we had a person who said, you know, I really, she said afterwards that she didn't feel safe around white people. Her body didn't feel safe. And I really started thinking about that. Well, of course that makes sense from what you're saying about the fear response. And so then, but yet she felt open enough to say it and we reacted to it and we were able to have a, a little group discussion. And I know that I felt mixed feelings about it because I want people to be able to have the dialogue together so that we can say, well, how could I in the presence, knowing that you've had these experiences, is there something that we can do together to create safer spaces? So I'm just kind of, I didn't, we didn't really prepare that question, but I think it's coming to mind right now. So I'm just wondering um, either one of you, if you want to have a response to that question, because it, it, that, that does really, it troubles me to ha- figure out how we can do that. Well, I'll, I'll take um, that on first, but the first thing I want to do is, is go back to, to the story with, uh, in the Charlotte train, 
because in, in both of these situations, in both stories, actually, the acknowledgement piece was huge. And if we could just pause there for the yeah. acknowledgement. Yes. Because if, you know, if someone is going through something or someone has a particular experience and you may not know that experience or you may not understand that experience, if you just say, oh, no, that's not the case, you know, that, that didn't really happen or, oh, you start to minimize what they're experienced and what they've experienced. And we know what our bodies do, you know, if our bodies are hypervigilant or if our bodies are, are going into a survival response, you know, our bodies are saying, oh, no, that's not the case. Our bodies are not minimizing that situation because our bodies are responding as if it's true. So just the body even, doesn't lie. The yes, body doesn't yeah. lie. It has to that that response is real, right? Yes. Exactly. And so even taking and holding space to acknowledge that, hey, this is your truth right now. I think that's huge. That is huge. And that that puts one on a path toward healing. And even dealing with some of the the uh, the times where things get hard. <laughs> you know, we talked about this before. Like this yes. this work is difficult. You know, when someone's saying, hey, I don't feel safe around white bodies right now, that's that person's truth. And even holding space for that and acknowledging that and, you know, trying to give them what they need at that point. So in, in my, and I'm going to give you some Kevinisms, what I say there is, is what does that person's nervous system need at that point to come back into balance, to be more regulated? You know, do they need a space by themselves or with people that look like them? Or can what needs to be accomplished be accomplished in a space that is diverse? And so, you know, giving them what they need in that moment first and then building from there. Because ultimately, we have to get back to the conversation, the dialogue where everybody is at the table. Is included, yes. I think where that's everybody is included. Yeah, and, I, and that's yes. Yeah, go ahead. And I think, but how we get there—that's yes. the—that's the question, right? That is the question. And then, Michael, do you have anything you want to add to what um, Kevin said? I think you said it really well, Kevin. Yeah, I don't know that I could add anything to that. You know, other than that last point, my tendency to stay engaged is going to be compromised. Mm-hmm. My ability to stay engaged is going to be compromised. So how can I uh, manage my nervous system enough to stay present enough? You know, and to be able to recognize, you know, it made me think of, I know, Elaine, you know this story, but um, years ago when I took my very first training, I uh, sat behind another participant and that participant, uh, white female, uh, at one point raised her hand and during the training, because it was consistent with what we were talking about in the training, indicated that, you know, she knows that she is feeling unsettled in her nervous system and unsafe simply because a male, a man is sitting right behind her and she referenced me. And of course, in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Do I get up? Do I, you know, what do I do? But really it was about how do I, how do I manage my own discomfort to stay present? And then uh, seeing the trainers work. And I think Elaine, you actually worked with this person to regulate yes, their nervous system in that moment. Right. And so it's that we know that our, our, our dysregulated nervous systems are going to are going to be in the same presence as each other and then how do we help utilize what we know about about the nervous system and our resilience and and our uh, using the skills that we teach to potentially engage and stay engaged to regulate our nervous system enough to stay engaged well and i I think that's the question how do we how do we do that and i think you kevin you gave an example and you gave an example and i think that you know i've 
I've been working in this area, I think, of equity and diversity since we first started with the Trauma Resource Institute. And the, the way that we were first starting was recognizing that we all had a nervous system. And that having traveled all over the world like I have, I noticed that people reacted in the same way when difficult things happened to them, when traumatic things happened to them. And that there was this com- commonality, too, of people talking about hope and about um, you know, I, I sometimes uh, heard, I've heard from many countries that they're the happiest country in the, on earth. I've heard it from more than one. But I think that this hopeful nature about coming out of suffering, you know, the post-traumatic growth is, um, is inherent in, in humankind. And so I know that that was something, Kevin, that you thought was important to talk about. When we talk about how does TRI's approach to EDI programs and initiatives differ from others? Because as we talk about trauma, we also want to talk about resiliency. Mm-hmm. And what is that post-traumatic growth? So, Kevin, I'm going to come back to you and see if you would like to talk a little bit about that. Yes, that goes back to some of the, the, the realness, I like to say, with the work that we're doing. Uh, one of the actual uh, training objectives that we have is to gain self-awareness and skills for navigating activation caused by advantage and oppression. Like We come in knowing that this is going to be hard. We are not going to feel good in our bodies the entire time. And as we know about being in our resilience zone, it's not a perfect place of Zen and peace. We can be a little okay, sad, okay, mad, okay, frustrated, but we're still able to adjust and manage and navigate and do the things that we need to do, we can remain fully present and, and be engaged. And so as we are, are doing this work, just knowing that we can be a little okay, sad, okay, mad, okay, frustrated, but still being productive, that adds to that hope element. So when you think about this work being really hard, and there's been some people harmed by racism, discrimination, and things of that nature, but they may not respond in kind. They respond by being advocates. They respond by laying the groundwork for others to follow them. Uh, They establish movements. They help people. They educate people. That is some of the post-traumatic growth that we're looking to see as we continue to empower and strengthen the voices and communities that are experiencing these things. We still want to make sure that, hey, are you you adding to your wellness? Are you adding to... um, to tools to your toolbox that can lead to connection. And, you know, it's, it's the what else is true about the work that we're doing. You've heard me say that a lot. What else is true? And I what know that true? it's so important that we, because I don't, don't think we can, we can run away from the suffering and to acknowledge the suffering. Because if we did that, then, then we would be being Pollyannas. But oh. when we say, oh, no, we can say the suffering is there. And then we can also shift to say, but what else is true? And I think that kind of advocacy, and, and that's one of the things I appreciate about every single member of the committee, because every, most everybody on the committee is a volunteer. And I know you get together on a regular basis, and people are very impassioned about the work that they're doing within, uh, within the Trauma Resource Institute to make that happen. So I'm just wondering about the inclusion strategies. So what are some of the inclusion strategies so that we need to we need to say yes we're having even though the conversations around um, discrimination equity equality may be difficult we need to have them and we need to create a safer space and I notice we say safer because it may not be completely safe but it may be safe enough to be able to have that discussion so are there other inclusion strategies that you two are are dreaming up with the committee um, that I might not know anything about that you'd like to mention right now. <laughs> well, and, and I, I think there are things that we have done for a while now 
that we will continue to do and then build on, you know, even down to making sure that when we do trainings, we try to develop and select a training team that is representative, that is diverse, that is representative of the community and the organization and the people that make up that community and organization. Um, you know, so I think there are things, you know, and, and again, creating, like you said, that safer space that people can point out, hey, did you notice that you use this terminology in your slides or this terminology? And then we can say, oh, you know what? We didn't. There was a blind spot. Let's change it. And so we change our, our materials according to that, right? That when there is, like you said, an elephant in the room, when things are brought to our attention, we try to act swiftly to, to make that correction, uh, knowing that what we're trying to create with the EDI uh, committee uh we're trying to do it well and we're going to try to do it right. And we've taken our time to really try to do it as well and as right as we can, knowing that there's going to be um, changes even to that as we, as we roll it out. In fact, I think the first uh, group that we're going to be rolling out with is, is rightfully so a, a pilot of sorts, right? So that mm -hmm. we can make a course correct and make some adjustments as necessary. Um, yeah. And in addition to some of the things that, that Mike has, um, has talked about already, just inviting these conversations to the spaces um, using our pronouns when we, uh, you know, start a training and, and things like that, and then inviting others to do so and inviting them to. One second, Brian, what does that mean, Kevin? Using our pronouns? Not everybody might know what that oh, means. Okay, so so my as you look at my my name on the Zoom screen, it's Kevin McLeod, he him, and I go I use the pronouns he him, and if you know some folks may have the pronouns they them or use pronouns uh, because the way someone may appear on the screen, you may assume their pronouns, oh, that's uh, she, her, but it may actually be, you know, he, him, or he, them, that sort of thing. And we want to respect people and their, their major identity markers that they come to the table with. And we want to invite that from the beginning. We want to build that container of a safer place. And then as Mike talked about, just uh, contending with the issues as we need to and not shying away from them because we are a learning organization. We're going to attempt to do, you know, just about everything right that we can, but there may be opportunities for us to grow and to, to you know, pivot at times. I love that word, opportunities to grow. That means we could have made a misstep of that. Well, exactly. oh, let's see if we can correct that and see if yeah. we can do it maybe better the next time. Yep. But I think mm -hmm. the other thing that I hope that I can see that you both do, and you know that I encourage this and always encourage this, even though it has been very difficult at times, is to get feedback from community to say, mm -hmm. wait a second, you did this. And is that what you're really trying to convey in the world? So if we can make those kind of shifts, like you said, we can do some pivots that may m be more inclusive for people. And Absolutely. at the same time, I think there's something else that we've talked about. I think I felt very strongly about this when I came back from India after being um, actually meeting the Dalai Lama and about compassionate boundaries. That, that sometimes you can do so much and then you have to have compassionate boundaries too about what you are able to do and what you aren't able to do. And I can see that you're certainly trying trying to do a lot of different things. And yet it's not always easy, yeah. is it? Yeah. So um, I know, Mike, you talk, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what compassionate boundaries means to you. Well, I think, you know, we know that going back to that idea of working across differences, we know that not everything we do is, go is going to be in alignment with uh, maybe someone else's, uh, what they perceive to be what is necessary and what we we what we would hope they, you know, or what they would hope we would do. And, and so then it's just a matter of, okay, this is, 
these are the values that we hold as try and these are the boundaries that we hold as try and uh, hopefully they align with someone else's but if not then to be able to be very explicit explicit about our values and why we do what we do um, and of course making the corrections if there is a misstep but then also acknowledging that there are just things that align with our our values that we're really working hard at, at holding to um, yes. so that's kind of how I see that idea of compassionate boundaries. And how about for you, Kevin? How do you view compassionate boundaries? I think it's such an important thing. Oh, definitely. Uh, the compassionate boundaries to me, it has to fall in line with uh, service, social justice, dignity, respect, worth yes. of every person, family, and community. And if we can uh, check those boxes as far as the work that we're bringing forward, uh, I think we're in a good place with, with compassionate boundaries. And, and those are the, the core values of the Trauma Resource Institute, which heavily informs the equity, diversity, and inclusion work that, that we're doing. And so one of the questions, I think one of the last questions, there's two more that I want to ask you guys, we're getting close to being done, is um, what when there's discomfort, conflict, hardship, what helps each of you get through? I'm talking to you personally now. I've asked every guest this question and it's just so important. So Mike, I'm going to start with you and then I'll go to Kevin. It'll actually be fairly quick for me. Um, faith, family, friends, uh, our dog. Um, and I'm a, I'm a, a wonderfully, uh, well, I don't know about wonderfully. I'm a big fan of Liverpool FC, you know, okay. so there are things that I hold dear things that I, you, uh, tap into that help, settle me okay oh thank you so much for that and how about you kevin uh, for me just a couple of things come to mind uh, intergenerational resilience is one especially you know thinking back on you know oppressed peoples and marginalized peoples and you know things that that folks have gone through and how they are still here they are still yeah. making it that gives me strength a lot and then also just finding things like my connection with nature. My favorite color is green. So I love being outside, finding every variation of the color green. Well, and St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Okay. Do lots of green around. But um, those, those things help me tremendously. Thank you. And so, um, so to get a hold of the Trauma Resource Institute in a, the few minutes that we, the, actually the few seconds we have left, can you tell us how to get in touch with the Trauma Resource Institute? And both of you. So uh, absolutely online. TraumaResourceInstitute.com is probably the best way all to get right. in touch with us. And they can find out about the EDI committee and all the wonderful things that you're doing. And all of our social yes. media handles are there as well. And, and there's some free um, workshops that are available so that people can listen to as well in terms of the week that, that we're doing. So yes. I just want to thank you both. You know, I appreciate you both so much and care so much about you too. But um, I'm going to just uh, remind our listeners, as you go through your week, Remember what else is true about your lives and be mindful of your personal resources, past and present. But I'm going to ask you one more thing this week, and that's to think how you might be able to move from otherness to us as you walk through your daily life. Is there any, you know, hand that you can outreach to someone? Is there some act of kindness that you can demonstrate to someone who's felt like they've been the other? that may make a difference in their life. Um, and I also want to just say too, as, as we're ending today, is that next week we're going to have 
two wonderful um, individuals that are from the um, Emory University Center for Contemplative Science and Compassion-Based Ethics that will talk about two very important programs. So I hope that all of our listeners come back and uh, listen to us again. And thank you again, Michael and Kevin, for being with us today. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.